Titus chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 7, get a running start. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just and holy, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word as you have been taught that he might be able by sound doctrine both exhort and convict those who contradict for there are many insubordinate both idle talkers gossipers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision of the Judaizers whose mouth must be stopped who subvert whole households teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. That's where we left off last week. And we pick it up, verse 12. Now, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always lying. I don't want to be from there. And Paul says, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to, to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, notice and unbelieving, there is, well, nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Notice they proclaim to know God, but their works deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Lord, we thank You and we just ask that You would bless our time Bless those who are serving in the back with youth and children's ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started in Titus, and we didn't get very far, obviously, in, in chapter 1. But Paul is instructing Titus like he did in 1 Timothy on those things uh, that need to operate inside of the church. And he was speaking to Titus. Notice he says in verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So uh, here is Titus. He's left on Crete. Obviously, we'll see Crete's kind of a problem area as far as the population, kind of a difficult area to minister to. And so he was giving those requirements for elders uh, and pastors. And so notice he says, in verse, uh, let's pick it up in verse 11, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. We were looking at the difference between the godly and the ungodly, the false teachers that were in and around Crete, and Paul wants Titus to know uh, to beware of them. In fact, he says in verse 12, now we pick it up, One of them, a prophet of his own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Epimenes, one of their own prophetic spokesmen who lived around 600 B.C., called his own people. (laughs) How bad does it have to be if you call your own people liars, evil beasts, and and lazy gluttons? So, that's the foundation that Titus is now ministering. Woo! <laughs> uh, 
can I get a different assignment, Paul? I mean, think about that. So what Paul wants Titus to know is you have to deprogram them. And you do that by, as we saw last week, the faithful word, holding on to the word. The word is always the most important thing. We stress that all the time here at Calvary. It's not about programs. It's not about wowing anybody. My job is not to wow you, although this sure is pretty well. That is not the role of a pastor. The role of a pastor is to feed the flock of God, and it is the word of God. So when you've got a, well, an interesting dynamic inside of the culture, what do we do? Do we water it down? Do we play or placate to the culture? Or do we allow people to come in, whoever they are, and just give them God's word? Well, that's what we do here. And he says to them, listen, you've got a little of a situation there in Crete. So you have to be reminded as you go through in installing and appointing leaders. He's he's just going to go on to tell them that you're going to have to do extra duty that you would not normally do in another town because of the reputation of those. And so it... What Paul is wanting Titus to know is know the culture in which you're living in and know that that is the culture like like today where people don't like facts. They don't like common sense. And we talked about this on Sunday. Which expert are we supposed to listen to? And so we have to use discernment especially when it comes to God's leaders. It seems that every people, every group, every nation has kind of characteristics that are unique to that area. I'm Irish, so I can make fun of the Irish, just like this guy who was a Cretan. By the way, the word Cretan came to be a derogatory term, just like a Corinth or a Corinthian because of their behavior. So in the Greek-Roman world of this time, to be called a Cretan, you called someone out a Cretan, them fighting words. So Paul wants Titus to know the situation in which he is living in. Notice with me, not giving heed to Jewish fables, number one. He already talked about the Judaizers before and the commandments of men who turned from the truth. So, very easy to get steeped back as Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews said, people wanting to go back into Judaism or go back into their religion because their mom is giving them a guilt trip. None of you in the room has ever had that happen, so we'll move on, right? Cultural pressures. Not giving to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Notice, who turn from the truth. So when we place our trust in that rather than the word of God, then we walk away from that which is true. The commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. He says, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, so the unbelievers, notice with me, nothing is pure. Nothing is holy. Nothing is sacred. 
That doesn't sound like today. Nothing sacred today. Nothing is set apart. We must destroy all of our history so we can all feel well at night. Why even teach history in the government schools? Well, I know why, but I won't go there. Notice, and the unbelieving, to them nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. And the idea is it's polluted. That means something once was pure and something was added into it and made it defiled. It's called propaganda. It's called religion. That defiles a mind. We talk about relationship here, not religion. Religion will defile you. Because, go back to the verse, uh, verse 14, then we get fables usually and commandments of men rather than the word of God. Notice, they profess to know God. How many people in the United States of America profess to know God? It used to be 75% of the nation confessed to know God or in that form. It's a lot lower today. But they profess to know God, especially those who are religious. But know with me, the proof is in the what? (laughs) Paul says, it's in the works but in works they deny him. Notice, works don't save you, but once you're saved, they are in evident that you are saved. Did that make sense to everybody? Let's not confuse it. Don't send any letters. Because religion says you must work your way to God or God will love you more if you do this because this is religious when in fact it's all what Christ is done upon the cross. And now that he has done that finished work, I, because I love God, because you love God, you want to see him glorified. And Matthew 5 says that's how people are glorified, through the good works that you do to bring glory to God. He says, but in their works they deny him. Notice, it's pretty harsh. (laughs) This wouldn't go over well today in any church. Paul would get kicked out of churches today. Does does everybody know that? He'd be run out of so many different denominations. He says, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Remember, in context, Paul is trying to instruct Titus on those who will be in leadership or those pastors, those elders, and he says, don't look to this group because this group is disqualified. Oh, they're very religious, but they don't have a relationship with God. Now, no chapter break, right in a chapter two. For as for you, speak these things which are proper for sound doctrine. Now, I'm going to read down to verse 6, and that's where we'll end tonight. But let me just read it, and we'll come back to it. And that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and in patience. And the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine. Teachers notice of good things. 
that they may admonish the young woman to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now, as I prayed tonight, I pray that we would not live in, well, we live in the world in which we live in, but we don't let the culture dictate to the Christian how we are to live. That's the Bible's role. So I don't take what the world says. I don't take what a professor says. I don't take what the news media says. I don't take what a politician says, and that affects my culture or or my way of thinking it does affect the culture. I let the Bible direct me. So when you get to a section like this, hear me well. (laughs) If you get a little offended, you've let the culture dictate your life and your brain rather than God's word. Well, that's offensive. Told you so. Do you see that? Every time I teach a section on this, if, if you start squirming, not only in your seat, but in your mind, because you have allowed the world to dictate what you believe rather than filtering it through God's word. Amen? Well, let, let's, let's see this because verse 1 ties into the last chapter and that takes us into this next section. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine." Again, this sets Titus apart from the people described at the end of Titus 1. But you, that's what they were, but you are different. They may teach legalism and fables, but Titus was to teach the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He was to take it out of God's word. Now, the idea behind sound doctrine is this. It has to do with right living, not just right thinking. We could have right doctrine or right thinking all day long, but it does no good unless you have right living to go along with the right thinking. Everybody get that? I don't want to confuse anybody. Only 14 minutes into it. Again, we're going to read the New Living Version, and I think it just opens up this section quite well. Again, this has the idea of promoting the kind of living that reflects right teaching, which means I'm being taught right, therefore it equals right living on my my part. Again, the Bible is a book that tells us how to live. It is the height of hypocrisy to say that we believe it's truth if we ignore how it tells us to live our life. We don't always allow to take us into what's known as the Titus 2 men and women. These are very important. In fact, as Paul is describing this, he says there are two important roles inside of the church, and that is of the older men and the older women. They both have a role. And the younger women and the younger men both have roles, and those roles are to follow the examples taught to them by the older men and women. Are you ready? Seatbelts on, wide open. That the older men be sober 
reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Let me read to you from the New Living, and then we'll, we'll come back. Verse 2 says, teach the, older women, or, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled, filled with love and patience. So too, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God, that they may not be slanderers or slander others, nor be heavy drinkers. Instead, that they should teach others what is good. Now, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children, to live wisely and to live pure, to work in the home and to do good, and to be submissive to their own husbands, that they will not bring shame on the word of God. And in the same manner or in the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Boy, it just uh, reveals it in just a, a, a nice way. Now, verse 2, again, back to New King James, it says that the older must be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Now, Oftentimes in the New Testament, when we're talking about elder or older, we're, we're, we're talking about somebody more mature. And yes, that applies to this, but it actually means older in age, which means that they have lived a while. I tell my kids all the time, um, I lived on planet Earth a little bit longer than you have, which means I have some life experience to back that up. So, and this, this is going to apply to the younger which is because people have gone through things, you should heed what they have to say. Uh, it has to be godly. <laughs> I've heard way too many bad stuff come from older people as well. But it must be godly and uh, uh, just as an example from their life. Notice it, the first thing is that it should be sober. Primarily, this means a moderate use of wine, but extends to mean careful in areas of conduct. Now, when he gets to the older women, he specifically uses the word uh, wine, heavy drinking. Now, this applies as well. Why does Paul need to address um, heavy drinking? Uh, because they live in a Greek-Roman world where they serve the god of Bacchus, which was wine and debauchery. Remember, we've got Gentiles coming out of paganism into the church, and they're used to getting sloshed every day. That was normal in the Roman world. It was very common, just like immorality was very common, just like beating your spouse or beating your servant. These were very common things. So now you've got these new people who are coming in the church. What do we do with them? Knock off the drinking? First thing he says, knock off the drinking and be careful in other areas of your life. Notice that they should be reverent or dignified. Now, they don't need to be gloomy and always serious. I, I can't stand those people. It's like crack a smile on your face, Eeyore. <laughs> they need to not always be gloomy. They need to be dignified, though. 
They should know their place and their age. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I was, just, I was like, did I lose everybody at that point? They're like, I'm not acting my age. <laughs> to be temperate means to be balanced, means to be discreet. Are they balanced in life? Do they have these huge swings or, or, or are they just balanced there? Sound in faith. Age makes some people callous and bitter and cynical. You know these people? Old crotchety people. You don't even want to be around them. They're callous. They're bitter. They're cynical. Those who are healthy in faith are thankful, optimistic, and good to be around. You want to be around them. It's interesting that he adds in love, too, at the end. Well, almost at the end. He adds in patience, too. In love, love is not self-centered. It thinks of others and manifests itself in giving. See, the danger is that the older you get, the more self-absorbed you might get. And so Paul knows that. He says you can fall into that category, so don't do that. Be kind, gentle, but also loving. Also in patience, age has its problems with sickness. Maybe you're not as quick as you used to be. You're not as nimble as you used to be. And so you need to have a little bit more patience. Those who are sound in endurance, building one another and their trials will be gracious with other people. That word patience also for us in the Greek is hupomone. It means to build each other up. So not only patience of where you are in your tent, in your body, but also being able to help other people, to note that. You don't need to retire and just sit around waiting to die. God has given you the ability to retire. Wonderful. What can I do for the body of Christ? What can I do to help out as we will see the next group of people? Older men are not just patiently waiting around until they pass on to the next world. They are actively enduring in the challenges of life and even the challenges of old age. Our world says something totally different than that. And then the older women likewise, which means those characteristics also apply, but you have another set as well. That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of what is good. Again, from the New Living, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God that they not slander others or heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. The word slanderer is the same word used for, well, the word is diabolos. Anybody know what word we get from that? Devil. Isn't that interesting that the word slander means devil here? 
When the older woman or anyone else, for that matter, slanders and gossips, they are doing the devil's work. I don't think people realize that. I, I got to tell you, one of my huge, like, on top list of pet peeves inside of the church are people who slander and gossip. And I want to say this to you in such a loving way, go somewhere else and do it. Because I don't want it here. Because it destroys lives. And as we see here, it is diabolical. It, you are being used by the devil when you do that. Now, somebody that's older and mature in the faith, they won't do that. They know how dangerous it will be. Notice, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, which means... There is a role for the older woman to play, as we will see the older men as well. They have roles, and one of them is teachers of good things. Well, what are they supposed to do? The godly older women have the responsibility of teaching the younger women how to be successful wives, mothers, and housekeepers. And the young women, as we will see, have a responsibility of listening and obeying. The Christian home was a totally new thing, and young women saved out of paganism would have to get accustomed to a new set of priorities and privileges. You have to think of it this way. They are coming out of paganism that is filled with unimaginable ungodly. I know, our world today, uh, that uh, is totally different, right? So think about this. you got a young couple. They come through the door. They get saved. They give their hearts to the Lord. But they have been programmed by the world, by academia, by the media to believe a set of whatever. Then they get saved and they start being challenged by the Lord and the Holy Spirit to get rid of that. And then they hear a message from me and the, what's with the attitude? Because you've been programmed. This is a whole new world. This is revolutionary. Jesus is bringing in something that the world doesn't know anything about. Even Judaism doesn't even understand this. It's so radical. As we'll see, it's so radical to love your husband and love your kids. We'll get to what that word love means. And so the role of the older women is to teach the younger women, again, how to be successful wives, mothers, and housekeepers. Just like the older men are to teach the younger men how to be successful in loving their wives, loving their children, being providers in the home, the protectors. We live in a world today where men are wimps. Thank you, Reese. Shaking his hand, he's like, yeah, I know. They're not taught to be men, godly men. What does a godly man look like? It looks like, honey, I'm going to take care of dinner tonight. Honey, I'm going to take care of the kids tonight. Honey, I'm going to do the laundry tonight. Honey, I'm going to do so you can sit. That's a godly husband. 
And older men need to teach that. Don't you dare come to me, that's woman's work. As a follower of Christ, I want to die in my wife's world. That's what Paul says that husbands we are to do. And from time to time, I want to relieve the burden of my wife. Now, I'm not encouraging this by any means, but dads from time to time throw all the kids in the car, safely in the car seats, take them to McDonald's, not sponsored by McDonald's, have a dollar, whatever, and let mom have a little time. Let her have that cow gone, take me away. Remember those commercials, ladies? <laughs> it different seems to work, though. That's a godly husband. But the older men who have lived on planet Earth, who have been married for a while, hopefully they, they know these things and are able to say to somebody who was in their 20s, come over here, let's have a little conversation. Ladies, you need to do the same thing. Older women to the younger, let's have a conversation. Let's come over here. Well, what are they supposed to do? Verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love <laughs> their children. Now, you think to yourself, what well, loves her husband and her children? She is well on the way to making a marriage and a home successful. Now, listen, in our Western society, a man and woman typically fall in love and they get married. <laughs> but that's not how, how it worked in biblical times and in the East. Oftentimes, two people would get married, and usually they just met. <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks that's hilarious? In Fiddler on the Roof, that's right. Every couple of months, I throw a Fiddler on the Roof reference in there. And, and Reptevia and his wife, they're sitting there after the girls have you know, Dad, I want to be married to this, and it's out of order, and there's tradition, and where's the papa? And he sits down, and he tells Golda, he says, they're in love. Like, that's something new. And he says to her, do you love me? Do you want me to sing it? <laughs> no, we want everyone to come back next week. But he says to his wife, do you love me? And then they start on this song, and it's wonderful, and they go back and back. But she says, after 25 years, I cook for you, I've cleaned for you, I've raised your kids, I've done all these things. If that's not love, what is? Now, this isn't biblical truth from Reptevia and his wife Golda, but the point is they look at each other and they say, well, I guess I love you too. And the idea from them is they both came together because it was an arranged marriage. And they were terrified to see each other that wedding day. Totally different than the West. You see, if you have no context of the Bible, you don't understand what Paul is trying to write, what he's trying to tell people. And so let's look at this word love. Philandros. It also comes from the word, yes, it sounds like it, phileo. There's agape, phileo, storge, and eros in the Greek. They have four. Agape, the one we know the most. This is an action word. This is God's love demonstrated upon the cross. Phileo is that friendship love. 
Storge is a family love, and eros is a more of a uh, erotic or romantic. Now, did you hear what Paul just said to the women? Like your husband, what? Like your kids? You see, you don't have to tell a wife to agape their husband. You don't have to tell a wife to agape their kids. That's normal. That's what a mom does. That's what a wife does. But to like your husband? Are you kidding me? Do you see how revolutionary this is? (laughs) That they should be taught to love their husbands, to like them, and to like their children. How do we do that, ladies? I'm going to let you have a little counseling session with an older woman. Or better yet, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what liking your husband really means. Now, for your children, it means reading and praying with them and being at home when they return from school or play by disciplining firmly and fairly and molding them for the Lord's service rather than the world's service. Listen, I don't want to be the the downer with sports, but so many parents mold their kids for sports rather than for the service of God. Nothing wrong with playing soccer as long as you don't go crazy with it and have your kid play soccer on a Sunday and they can't come to church. Oh, the devil is very crafty. Oh, you got to play soccer. Well, for the most part, that kid is not going to be in the professional soccer league. Amen? Or the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL, which I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad we're having a break from all of sports. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'll leave my opinions to myself. No lawsuits needed. And so that they should admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Note with me, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That's important. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Young women should be taught to be discreet. This means having a fine sense of what is appropriate for them as Christians and avoiding extremes. To be discreet also means in appearance. This is where, older ladies, your role is to come alongside of the younger lady in a loving way, pulling her aside and say, honey, you probably shouldn't wear that on a Sunday morning, Wednesday, or how about ever? Because... (laughs) Okay. You didn't know I had restraint, did you? (laughs) Let the older women have that conversation with the younger. That's not my role to do. It's not my role. It's not any other man's role. You are for your husband, and you need to remember that. That's not what the world teaches. To be discreet, how about chase, which means faithful to their husband and avoiding impurity in thought, word, or action. This is and can be dangerous when you're working outside of the home. That particularly to be chase. 
also goes on to say that they should be good homemakers, that they should realize that this is a divine service which can be done for the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, this is me personally, I'm going to get a little upset. Because the way that the world, specifically after the 1970s, started treating women who stayed at home in a bad way. The world says that you need to have X, Y, and Z for a home, X, Y, and Z for a car, X, Y, and Z. But maybe if you actually ask the Lord, should I be working or not, or should I be at home or not? I'm not talking about people who truly need to work outside of the home, single moms. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is going against the tide of the world, and the world has come against homemakers. I have seen this a gazillion amount of times. When my wife is uh, filling out paperwork, and they ask her, what is her job? And they, she says, home wrecker. I mean, no, <laughs> just checking. Just seeing if everyone's asleep. Homemaker, the look that they have in their face. It's sad, isn't it? The world is against God's word. Maybe in your home, you have to figure this out with God, your husband and the wife. No one else. Not me. Not what I say. What God's word says, take it to him. I I post to you that most people who have two incomes don't ever ask God if that's the right choice. Is this for the Lord? And I want every homemaking mom, wife to know that this is a divine service which brings glory to God and isn't and should not and never should be diminished in any capacity that you are somehow inferior to someone working outside of the home who, by the way, probably doesn't have to, but they're doing it. Now, This doesn't mean that when the kids are done, you can't go work outside of the home. You have a specific role that you are playing. The world says you have this role, but God says you have this role. Do you know who's going to get more crowns and glory in heaven? Moms. Remember that mom who told the kid, don't forget your box lunch? And he goes out and Jesus and the 5,000 are there. The kid who has his lunch is because mom told him, did you clean your room? Yep. Did you comb your hair? Yep. Did you brush your teeth? Yep. Mom, I got to go out. Jesus is coming. Well, don't forget your lunch. She's the hero of the story, right? Moms. Moms are important. Moms are important to be home. Moms are there to create safety, stability. Older women should try to help younger women understand the high honor of serving the Lord in the home as a wife and as a mother rather than working in industry or business and neglecting the home and the family. Again, that's 
the choice that you have to make between God and your spouse. But I'm telling you what God's word says. Now listen, because we're raised in the culture we're raised in, this doesn't go over very well inside of the church. That's antiquated, pastor. This is 20, I don't even want to say 2020 anymore. This is years. And they look at it and they look at this passage. Oh, I'll believe the the portion about the cross and Jesus dying for me. But this other section about being a wife, I don't want to listen to that. Isn't that what happens? We pick and choose what we want to listen to. Oh, we love the eternity thing, but being a mom, loving my husband, being a friend to him, being a friend of my kids, liking them. Have you seen my kids? (laughs) Young women should be also taught how to be good. Isn't that interesting? Again, coming out of the culture they're living in. How to live for others and to be hospitable and gracious and generous and not to be self-centered or progressive. Remember, the world in which they're coming out of. The Greco-Roman world is the same world that we're living in now. (laughs) Don't get me going on social media and moms. It's like they spend more time on those stupid devices than they do with their kids. And I can prove it to you by the million posts they have of the fruit they ate that morning. It's like, who cares? Could we get off with the taking pictures of fruit? And the whole, unless it's a deer you just shot and it's on a spigot, I don't want to see it. Or a pig. Pig picking, good eating, or in and out burger. But that, other than that, don't show it to me. They should be obedient. Please circle this to their own husbands, not to men in general. That's a false narrative. You're not to obey any man, ladies, wives. God has an order. And again, this gets people's feathers all ruffled. They should be obedient to their own husbands, acknowledging them as head of the home as God has directed. Not because man has directed it, but because God. If a wife is more gifted and capable than her husband, and most of the time she is, it doesn't matter. Rather than dominating her husband like the world says, she should encourage and aid him to be more active in the home, in leadership, in serving in the local church. Can I tell you the problem we have with leadership in this, not in this church, but in the past? Wives not encouraging their husbands to be in leadership. That's the problem we have. We don't have a problem with men who want to serve. We have a problem with women who are married to those men who want to serve, but can't. Her role is to encourage that godly service, not to the neglect of the families instead. And why is this all done, ladies? So that the word of God would uh, not be blasphemed or discredited. 
Throughout this letter, Paul is conscious of the reproach brought upon the Lord's cause by the inconsistent lives of his people. So we don't need the world to come against or to blaspheme the word of God or look down upon the church even more than it already does by our inconsistent lives. Now, verse 6. Now, ladies, don't think to yourself, (laughs) the young men have got it easy here because they don't have very many uh, words in this. But God only knows that the, the men can only handle a couple of words. That's to be funny. Notice he says, likewise. That means traits in the before-mentioned older men, older women, younger women also apply to the younger men. But please note with me the problem that younger men have. (laughs) It's an easy problem, easy to spot. Now, the the New King James says sober-minded. The New Living says that they should be encouraged to live wisely. It also can be translated not recklessly. That's a younger man, recklessly. Isn't that what the the Nike says? Just do it. We have all of these slogans, all of these pitches from companies, from the world, to tell people to leave their inhibition at home, to just conk, and all of this junk that goes to the young men. And then the young men at the end of their 20s realize, that was stupid, I just wasted 10 years of my life doing foolish things when I should have been listening to God's word and older men that come alongside. Paul did not urge Titus, please note with me, to teach the young women. For discretion's sake, this ministry was left to the older women, but Titus was to encourage or exhort the young men. That was his role. In particular, his job was to encourage them to be sober-minded or control themselves. That's not a word you hear today. Have you seen a Nike commercial that said, control yourself, young men? You don't hear that. An appropriate word, control yourself, since youth is a time of zeal, reckless energy, burning drives, In every area of life, they need, the young men need to learn balance. Oh, I wish I had had somebody in my early 20s tell me that. All of that describes what my 20s were were like. Stupidity. Anybody else stupid in their 20s like me? Thank you, champion. Champion's in the bag. He's like, I was stupid. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Woo! Maybe not to be that proud of it, but to be sober-minded means to be, and to uh, describes a man with a mind which has everything under control by the Holy Spirit. To be under control, 
strength of mind which has learned to govern every instinct and passion. Each has its proper place and proper time. And yet, that's not what's taught today in our, in our culture. Proper place, proper time. Everything has order. God is a God of order. And what he says, listen, to the failure of the church, if you look around, you look around at the churches around our community, is our community, is our country having older men and women step into the fight so that the next generation doesn't end up the same way we did without the guidance that we didn't have. Would we all not agree to go back and have somebody hit us upside with a two-by-four and say, what are you doing? Instead of listening to the culture, I know like a, I, I sound like a broken record, but that's why we have Camp Arrowwood why we want to get the thing built, why we want camps to be there, why we want to disciple young men and women in a place to get away from that's away from the world, the things of the world, the traps of the world, to get alone with God and hear from him because with their devices and the media and the social, and they, it's so loud The world is drowning out the youth of America. And it is our role. All right, everyone over 40. (laughs) Everyone over, that's our role. If you're over 60, you have a bigger role. Because your role is to help those who are under you and so forth. Let let me end with this. Don't you dare do it without love. Don't you come to somebody, older women, older men, and do it in a crass, I've seen it. I have seen younger people in the church leave because of foolish older people and how they talk to the younger people. Foolish. And they drove them right out of the church. I'd like to drive that person out of the church. If it's not done in love. Paul says in Corinthians, if it's not done in love, then you're just a clanging symbol. If I have not love, if I give all my riches to the poor, if my body is burned, but without love, it means nothing, Paul says. So to be a Titus 2 man or woman without love, don't do it. And if I hear you doing it... (laughs) We're going to have some sit-down time. And Matt will have to talk to you. (laughs) See how I did that? Listen, you're younger. You're under 30, under 40. You're coming out of the world. You're coming into the church for the first time. This is a new experience. You're brainwashed from the world. You want... Come alongside. I I didn't want to... I really don't like to think out loud, but... Um, I am going to be starting something uh, maybe by the end of summer for younger men who are looking to be 
uh, in a leadership position or want to um, see what God would have for their life for his leadership inside of the church. You see, we have a bunch of older guys in leadership. Maybe you haven't figured it out, but when uh, Matt and I are the youngest guys in leadership, and so we're wanting younger men to come alongside. And so not sure how that will work or what that will look like, but it will be just a time to gather together. And at least for me to fulfill the role that Paul did with Titus and with Timothy. So read ahead <laughs> uh, as Paul continues to encourage Titus and encourage the <laughs> The Cretans, I just think that's funny. It was a a derogatory term, the Cretans. But so could an American today be as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And we thank you for your servant, Paul, who gives us God's word unapologetically by the Holy Spirit. Lord, sometimes... I'm so sorry that we live in the world in which we live in that's dominated by anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-male and female, anti-family. And so, Lord, so hard sometimes to come inside of the church and to hear these words of encouragement, and they should be encouragement. And so if anybody's wrestling with this, Lord, here or over the radio or over the internet, Lord, that they would look to you for an encouragement and guidance on the next steps in their life. Thank you, Lord. And we pray these things in your son, Jesus, who has given us life, who showed us love, and who is coming again. And we long to see his face in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen.